गुड मॉर्निंग एवरीबॉडी आई सिंगा शर्मा आई एम गोइंग टू प्रेजेंट द हिंदू एडिटोरियल डेटेड ट्वेंटी दिसंबर टू थाउजेंड ट्वेंटी दिसमसिसटोरियल इज गिवेन इन द लास्ट सेगमेंट ऑफ द पॉडकास्ट लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड हैप्पी प्रिपरेशन Reality check for the opposition's unity project. Since 2014, the opposition parties have been divided and ineffectual. Merely beating the drum of oneness is not enough. This article is written by M K Narayanan. Ever since the Bharatiya Janata Party swept the 2019 Lok Sabha election for a second term in office, the nation has witnessed a great deal of churn in politics, both at the national and state level. Many aspects concerning Indian politics have seen changes and many previous concepts have been rendered obsolete. Though leaders and parties still find it difficult to shake off their past attributes and beliefs, it is not that the nature of politics itself has changed. But mainstream parties, essentially those in the oppositions, are unable to decipher the nature of the changes taking place. the ground reality the congress for instance is unable to shake off a belief that it is the obvious sh- chance to lead any opposition combination while other parties might have accepted this in the past increasingly quite a few of them have made it clear that they do not any longer see the congress as a lead player however to assume therefore that the party is in a terminal decline would be a case of being unable to see the wood for the trees for its part the congress still has a vote bank spread across different states in the country totaling a little over 20 excessive procrastination on future strategies is however sapping the vitals of the party it has yet to produce an alternative model to reverse the current trend the unpleasant truth for the opposition is that since 2014 when the bjp captured power they have been divided weak ineffectual lack of a proper strategy test together with unwillingness on the part of individual opposition parties to make a realistic estimate of their strength and weakness accept the current reality and demonstrate a willingness to support other opposition parties and groups which may have somewhat greater acceptability are the main reason why the opposition is in dire straits today of a late A measure of realism does seem to have crept into this debate, but not within the opposition parties themselves. Individual parties are yet to make a realistic estimates of their strengths and weaknesses. What has also not been catered for is that many parties are little known outside their states. Consequently, despite all the current talk of opposition unity, there is no common thread that binds them, other than a strong dislike of the policies and attitudes of the ruling party at the center. Of all the opposition parties, it is the Congress which perhaps still has some acceptance across the nation. It has not, however, been able to convince other opposition parties that even though its influence today is limited to certain segments and territories, it still has an intrinsic ability to emerge as a cause. coordinator of opposition unity while smaller opposition parties are perhaps willing to acknowledge this the bigger parties are unwilling to ascribe a leadership role to the congress more about the tmc this situation has extended for some time but latterly the 
तृणमूल कांग्रेस लीडर ममता बनर्जी हैज बीन ओपनली वेंटिलेटिंग द ओपिनियन दैट कांग्रेस हैज बिकम अ मोरी बाउंड ऑर्गेनाइजेशन इन द आफ्टर मार्थ ऑफ स्पेक्टैकुलर विक्ट्री इन बंगाल असेंबली इलेक्शन अर्लियर दिस ईयर मिस बनर्जी अपियर्स टू हैव टेकन अपॉन हर सेल्फ द रूल ऑफ रिलाइंग द ऑपोजिशन अगेंस्ट द बीजेपी विदाउट फॉर्मली अनाउंसिंग हर सेल्फ एज इट्स लीडर वर देर हैज बीन अ ग्रेट डील ऑफ प्रेज एंड कांग्रेसिशन the path for the upa instead of putting forward a shared story with the country could endorse as a counter to the bjp's single point rhetoric the opposition today only looks confused moreover all the differences are on public display today with the tmc targeting the congress the, the latter has retaliated accusing ms benerji of having a fascistic mindset and being a political opportunist the tmc's tactics of poaching legislators from other parties mainly the congress is not helping matters this display of disunity among the opposition has put into the shade what might have been a pro- promo- promising opening for opposition unity initiated by congress president sonia gandhi very recently that is december 14 2021 at which the nationalist congress party the cpim and dravid munetra gazgam that is dmk the shiv sena and the national conference were present but not the tmc on display today for one and all is therefore opposition disunity rather than opposition unity unless the opposition has a death wish as far as unity is concerned it is hence imperative that each and every constituent party part recognizes the criticality of the opposition unity what has to be kept in mind is that each constituent party has certain inherent strengths which contribute to the overall capability and strength of any union admittedly the united progressive alliance is much weaker than what it was previously the upa core which previously compromised comprised the congress the cpi cpim and some of the secular democratic parties has lost much of its elan since the first decade of the century but it is far from liability as mamta banerji seems to believe it remains relevant provided each constituent recognizes what needs to be done so something on the lines of modern day common minimum program for a start all op- opposition parties included in this group must recognize that the balance of power has tilted very substantially in favor of the bjp whatever be its shortcoming or the extent of unhappiness with some of its policies it is possibly the only national level party which has an unchallenged leader its politics which is a mixture of majoritarianism and hypernationalism has found ready acceptance among sizable section of the populace irrespective of whether this is best suited to today's circumstances in effect the bjp has no peer competitor this state of affairs may not be truly visible in the rear view mirror of politics to many of the opposition parties but it it should induce a degree of sobriety when reflecting on how opposition unity is to be achieved to achieve the desired level of unity and hope for success 
the combined opposition must not only admit to this reality but also to the fact that contemporary policies is not a zero sum game the congress perhaps more than any other party in the opposition needs to avoid clinging to images of an earlier period and should ensure that the chasm between it and potential allies does not widen any further this may need casting aside many past perceptions as also clinging to impressions of a world that has since vanished other opposition parties such as the tmc must not overestimate their strength merely because of the achieving success in one or two states instead they should work hard to assemble and strengthen alliance partnership with a view to creating a strong phalanic phalanx against the bjp towards a construct Conquering the BJP will not be an easy task. Any entire BJP coalition will need the right set of partners. Partners who can bring in additional votes and do not constitute a risk to opposition unity. It would entail a liquidation of wrong beliefs and assumptions and alliances that can stand up to any kind of stress test that the ruling BJP can be expected to employ to undermine opposition unity. in the prevailing circumstances viable opposition unity is possible only if there is a honest recognition of what may be termed as areas of influence of each party the tmc in bengal the dmk in tamil nadu the left in kerala the congress in rajasthan chatisgarh etc any hope of opposition unity will rest on acceptance of this principle of areas of influence within this construct each party will have a certain preeminence merely beating the drum of opposition unity against the ruling bjp is not enough and is unlikely to produce results in short for opposition unity to succeed there has to be the rhetoric of transformation but also the reality of accommodation as farid zakaria had once a point in a totally different context mk narayanan is a former director intelligence bureau a former national security advisor and a former governor of west bengal testing the red lines in the iran nuclear talks it presents itself as a path paved with uncertainties and risk failures if the players adopt a trumpian attitude this article is written by ramen jan beglu months after iran's presidential elections in june multilateral nuclear talks have started once again in vienna with a new iranian negotiating team iran's chief negotiator ali bakheri khani reportedly introduced demands that in effect cancelled understandings reached in previous rounds of negotiations in june concerning a renewed joint comprehensive plan of action that is jcpoa as a matter of fact a report by a non-partisan organization points out the that iran began exceeding jcpoa limits on both its allowed stockpile and a level of enrichment a year after the donald trump administration withdrew from the deal in may 2018 and began reimposing economic sanctions what iran and the usa for for the time being the new round of vienna talks seems to have no positive outcomes both sides are completely intransigent and want the other party to back down and make concessions before they will move iran insists on all sanctions being lifted while the americans 
are asking Iran to return to reduce enrichment of uranium and accept full International Atomic Energy Agency inspections. According to some analysts, the current impasse is not due to two factors. First and foremost, Iran is playing the North Korean card while moving towards leaving the economic spheres of the United States and Europe and joining China and Russia. On the other hand, the Americans do not have a very clear direction for Iran's future, especially because the US President Joe Biden is refusing to commit his administration to lift sanctions on Iran during the remaining years of his presidency. Europe's line. As for the Europeans, thus far they have been almost non-existent in these new talks. Even so, Enric Mora, Deputy Secretary General, Political Director, European External Action Service, who coordinate talks between Tehran and six powers on reviving a 2015 nuclear pact, seemed to be very positive about the way the negotiations had started. According to him, the P4 plus 1 must fully take into account the political sensibilities of the new Iranian administration. While the Iranian delegation has recognized the work we have done in the past six rounds and the fact that we will build on this work going ahead. Despite Mr. Mora's positive remarks, it seems that the Europeans are trying to salvage, salvage the deal as quickly as possible. As Iran ramps up uranium enrichment, but at the same time they see seem not to be forceful mediators in these talks, given that there are the Chinese and the Russians who are in favor of the Iranians. Chinese remarks. The Chinese comments about the nuclear hypocrisy of the West suggested that it is sympathetic to the fundamental arguments of the Iranian negotiators that has been dealt a fundamental injustice by the US, an injustice in which the Europeans have been complicit. Unsurprisingly, while the Iranians' negotiating team believes that time is running out for the US, the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has warned Iran that the hours is getting very late to return to the nuclear deal. However, he also added that it is not too late for Iran to reverse course to save the deal aimed at curbing Tehran's nuclear capabilities in exchange for an easing of sanctions from Washington. Tehran's stand, Israel's view. All in all, new Iran nuclear deal presents itself as a path paved with uncertainties. It looks like Iran has headed into the present nuclear talks in Vienna armed with a new general nuclear strategy. Indeed, Iran's supreme leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei's demands have consistently centered on full sanctions removal. But at the same time, the newly elected government headed by Ibrahim Raisi has repeatedly proclaimed that not Nothing is agreed on unless everything has been agreed on. It seems that the Raisi government is, test, is testing international deadlines and trying to leverage Iran's expanding nuclear programs to produce more concessions from the international community without paying significant cost. As a result, there is an increasing pessimism on whether the Iran nuclear deal can be revived. The fact that Iran has begun using advanced centrifuges to pursue 20% uranium enrichment at the underground Fordow facility is making the IAEA very nervous. Meanwhile, Israeli officials have been pressing European governments and the US on real Iranian nuclear treat. However, according to the former Israeli Defense Minister Moshe Yalon, the main mistake of the last 
decade was to quit the deal during the Trump administration. However, let us not forget that the Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett declared openly in the late November that the mistake we made after the first nuclear deal in 2015 will not repeat itself. He recently asked Washington to start using a different toolkit against Iran's forward gallop in the enrichment sphere. No doubt, Israel continues to see the Islamic Republic of Iran as an existential threat. From the Israeli point of view, this threat can be justified notably by Iran's current hegemonic military drive into the Levant. All this does not necessarily mean that Israel has a plan to act militarily against Iran, but the situation is far from encouraging for the Israelis. Whatever it may be, the key question remains this, whether the nuclear negotiations in Vienna could become substantive or collapse with no results. No one has answered to this question yet. But one thing is certain, Iran and the US will both fail if they try to corner each other with the Trumpian attitude. After all, if the JCPOA is a complex affair, it is because diplomacy is all about complexity management. Ramin Jang Beglu is the director of Mahatma Gandhi Center for Nonviolence and Peace Study at OP Jinder Global University, Sonipat. Age and marriage. Focus must be on creating social awareness about women's reproductive health and rights. Good intent does not guarantee favorable outcomes. Coercive laws without wide societal support often fail to deliver even when their statement of objects and reasons aim for the larger public good. Within days of the Union Cabinet approving a proposal to raise the age of marriage for women from 18 to 21 years, the same age as for men, the government listed it for legislative business in Parliament this week. If passed, various personal and faith-based laws which govern marriage in India now, including the Hindu Marriage Act 1955, the Special Marriage Act 1954, and the Provision of Child Marriage Act 2006, will have to be amended. In her budget speech last year, Finance Nirmala Sitaraman had announced that the government would set up a task force to look into the age of a girl entering motherhood with an aim to lower maternal mortality rates, improve nutrition levels, as well as ensure opportunities to women to pursue higher education and careers. With these targets in mind, a panel headed by former Samata Party Chief Jaya Jaitley was set up in June last year. The panel submitted its report in December 2020. Though the objective it's Though the objective looks good on paper, merely raising the age of marriage without creating social awareness and improving access to health care is unlikely to benefit the community it wants to serve. Young women not yet financially independent who are unable to exercise their rights and freedoms while still under the yoke of familial and societal pressures. According to Ms. Jedley, raising the age of marriage is one of its recommendations, which include a strong campaign to reform patriarchal mindset and improved access to education. As per the National Family Health Survey 2019-21, 23.3% of women aged 20-24 years married before 18, which shows that the prohibition of Child Marriage Act 2006 has not been wholly successful in preventing child marriages, especially among the poor. Women's rights activists point out that parent, 
parents often use this act to punish their daughters who marry against their wishes or elope to evade forced marriages, domestic abuse, and lack of education facilities. Hence, within a patriarchal setting, it is more likely that the change in the age limit will increase parents' authority over young adults. A good but not easy way to achieve this stated objective is to take steps to counsel girls on early pregnancies and provide them the network to improve their health. The focus must be on creating social awareness about women's sexual and reproductive health and rights and ensuring girls are not forced to drop out of school or college. Loss cannot be a shortcut in the path to social reform. Persist with Pro Fresh reports of Pegasus use flags the need to take inquiry to its logical conclusion. It is difficult to disagree with the argument there cannot be a parallel probe by any inquiry commission into the allegations of unlawful surveillance using the Pegasus spyware after the Supreme Court ordered an independent inquiry. It is no surprise then that the top court has stayed the functioning of the commission constituted by the West Bengal government and headed by retired judge Justice Madan B. Lukur. Chief Minister Mamda Banerjee has taken note of the allegations of surveillance that possibly targeted personages in West Bengal and was on good legal ground when she took the first legal step towards unearthing unearthing the truth. It was a step that was warranted by the circumstances then, given the Indian government's refusal to acknowledge that it possessed such spyware or whether those identified by an international media investigation as targets were subject to any sort of surveillance in the country. Reports by an international consortium of journalists said that 300 out of 50,000 likely targets of Pegasus spywares were Indians. Subsequently, the government also refused to cede any ground in the Supreme Court and declined to give a simply yes or no reply to the court's question. Stonewalling attempts to raise it in Parliament and sticking to its guns in court, the government inevitably invited an order from the court for an independent investigation. It is significant that the bench headed by Chief Justice of India N.V. Ramanam ruled that the bogey of national security was not an adequate reason not to have a credible inquiry into the allegations. A fresh report suggesting that Pegasus was used to target Jailed activist Rona Wilson's mobile phone underscores the urgent need to persist with investigation into the illegal use of spywares in India. U.S. forensic investigation company Arsenal Consulting has said Mr. Wilson's phone was attacked as many as 49 times and it was successfully infected by the time he was arrested in June 2018 for alleged involvement in the Beam Koregaon case. Earlier, the firm had come claimed that Netwire, a remote access Trojan, was used to plant letters on Mr. Wilson's computer. Advocate and co-accused Surendra Gadlings was also targeted in the same manner. These developments raise suspicion about the genuineness of the evidence being relied upon to try him and others for an unsubstantiated Maoist plot. There is little doubt that the court ordered probe by experts supervised by a panel headed by retired Supreme Court judge Justice R.V. Ravindran should be taken to its logical conclusion and the country 
be told whether Pegasus or any other spyware was used to infect mobile phones and other devices of lawyers, activists and journalists among others. There is much writing on this judicially overseen inquiry and it behoves the government of the day to extend its full cooperation and not pose any impediment to its independent functioning.